0: On this Memorial Day weekend, we are grateful uh, for all of those who have um, given the ultimate sacrifice for the freedom of our country, and so we celebrate that and remember that uh, with great uh, thankfulness and humility this weekend. Uh, but today, in church, in the church calendar as well, I don't often talk about this, but uh, this is Pentecost Sunday, and so. I just felt the Lord just uh, say, let's talk about the Holy Spirit this morning and Pentecost Sunday uh, with the title, uh, A Personal Pentecost, A Personal Pentecost. So I grew up loving Calvin and Hobbes. How many Calvin and Hobbes fans out there? Um, And uh, one of the cartoons went something like this. Hobbes says to Calvin, is it right to remain ignorant? And Calvin says, I don't know, but I refuse to find out. One, it's one thing to be ignorant, and when, we're say, when I'm using the word, and when they're using the word ignorant, it's just that sense of, is it wrong to not understand something? And Calvin says, well, I don't know, but I'm refusing to find out. In other words, I'm going to remain in my ignorance. And I don't know if you're anything like me, there are always things when it comes to faith that you realize, boy, I'm a little bit ignorant or un, I, I, I lack knowledge, I lack understanding about this. And the more that I learn, the more I realize, ha, I didn't see everything. I didn't get everything. I didn't understand everything well. Uh, if we're humble enough, I think, and honest enough as Christians, there will always be things that we will come across with no matter how long we've walked with God, that we'll be able to say, you know what, I was a little bit ignorant of that. I didn't understand that. There will always be things that God will expand our view, might correct our view, might throw some of the stuff we've been holding on to out. And if we're not in a place where that is happening on a regular basis... I would challenge us just to be in a place to say, Lord, would you, I hold all that I know of you open with open hands before you. Shape it, mold it, change it, because there are things that God continually wants to do in our lives to show us who he is and to allow us to live in the fullness of the Christian life. In thinking about this, I wanna share a little bit of my story this morning when it comes to the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life as we look in the scriptures this morning on this Pentecost Sunday. Because I grew up in a Christian home. I went to church on Sunday morning. I went to church on Sunday evening. I went to church on Wednesday night. If the church was open, we were there. We were often there longer than the pastor was. The pastor would leave and we were still there and my dad had keys and would often lock up the church on our way out. That's how much we were there. I was in church all the time. I was taught the scriptures. I received Jesus as my savior at the age of six. I was discipled by parents and youth leaders and Sunday school teachers. I went to a Christian college. I was trained in a Christian seminary. I had evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in my life, but I can say without a doubt that it wasn't until September of 2009 that I had my own personal Pentecost. From my own life and from the lives of others that I know have had similar experiences, I believe that it is possible to be a Christian And not have had a personal Pentecost. There are multiple reasons, but some of them may be that you simply, like me, didn't know about it. Maybe you didn't believe in it. Or maybe, when it came to the work of the Holy Spirit, you did not see the need for it. Or even want it. But brothers and sisters, this morning, it is my deep desire that you would have, if you have not already had your own personal Pentecost, and that it would not be a one-time experience, but it would be the regular reality of your life, that you would live continually being filled with the Spirit. This morning, that's where we're going to go we're going to talk about a personal pentecost and the work of the holy spirit in our lives there are sermon notes in your bulletin if you're a note taker as always and there'll be some additional things that we can put up on the screen of notes that you might take we want to start with just an understanding of what pentecost is and seeing the initiation or the beginning of pentecost if you have a bible i figure this morning i want your fingers to move a little bit or on the phone, up and down, scrolling around, however you choose to do it, but rather than me put it up there, because I know sometimes you see things and you hear me, it can get a little zone off at times, but this maybe will keep you moving a little bit. But let's start in Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3. We talked about this a few months ago, looking as we studied the, the book of Matthew, but we want to see the promise of John in this idea of the initiation of Pentecost. In Matthew chapter three, verses 11 through 12, this is what John says as he is in his ministry preparing the way for Jesus to come. He says, "I baptize you with or in water for repentance." But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his weed into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John, in his ministry, preparing the way for Jesus to come, promised that there would be one who is Jesus, who was Jesus, that would come after him. Where John baptized with water for repentance, for the forgiveness of sin, Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Fast forward through the ministry of Jesus. Turn with me back to the book of Acts, to Acts chapter one, verses four and five in verse 8, and we see the promise of Jesus. John makes his promise that Jesus is the one who will fulfill, but Jesus makes a promise to them. After Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, he appeared to the disciples and 500 others over a period of 40 days before he ascended into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling over all things. And on one of these occasions, we're told in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, he says this in Acts 1, verses 4 through 5. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, baptized with water, or in water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. John's promise, Jesus affirms that promise and says, it is soon to come. In verse eight, he tells them what will happen when they are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus affirms the ministry of John and the promise and says, I will baptize you in a few days with the Holy Spirit. And when I do, you will be empowered to be my witnesses, starting here in Jerusalem, moving on to Judea and Samaria, all the way to the ends of the earth. And because God and because Jesus is not only a promise maker, but he is a promise keeper, the promise was fulfilled on Pentecost. The disciples, though, had their role. The disciples went back in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. They went back to Jerusalem, and verse 14 tells us, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. For a period of about 10 days, if we do the math, it seems it's about 10 days that they are in this upper room and they are waiting. They are doing what Jesus told them to do. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Their waiting wasn't sitting around watching TV. Their waiting wasn't sitting around twiddling their thumbs. Their waiting was constantly in prayer, constantly, actively seeking God, waiting For the promise of Jesus to be fulfilled. And about 10 days later, it was. See, Pentecost was the day that this already happened. Sometimes if we're in church on this side of of Jesus, we may just think of Pentecost as the day when the Holy Spirit came down upon the church. But Pentecost was already something that was regularly being celebrated each and every year. It was a celebration that Jews from all nations would come to Jerusalem to celebrate. It was called not only uh, Pentecost, but it was also called the Feast of Weeks. It was a harvest celebration that was seven weeks and one day after the beginning of Passover. Fifty days after Passover. So we have all these Jews who have come to Jerusalem. All the nations are represented, Jewish believers from all these nations are in Jerusalem, there to celebrate the Feast of Weeks, there to celebrate Pentecost. And on this day, this happens. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 says this. Excuse me while I go back to it. This was the beginning of the empowerment of the church as Jesus sends his spirit as he promised in a violent, mighty rushing wind. The spirit of God comes and fills them and tongues of fire rest upon them. And what happened after that is everyone thought these guys are crazy, they've been drinking already here in the morning, they're drunk. And Peter stands up, no, we're not drunk. This is what happened and this is what was prophesied to happen For hundreds of years of the Spirit of God being poured out. And he preaches one of the greatest sermons, other than probably Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount. And on that day, 3,000 Jews heard and believed and were added to their number. Talk about a successful day in the kingdom of God. 3,000. The Spirit comes and 3,000 come to Christ. As promised, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And as you read the book of Acts, as you trace church history and the church's expansion, you find consistent Pentecosts for those who receive the message. Most receive the Spirit as they believe. It's it's at the same time. But there are some that need to get caught up because of a measure of ignorance, lack of knowledge that they had about the spirit. Which brings us back to where we read at the beginning of our time in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 gives us some ingredients for a personal Pentecost. It's kinda like thinking about a cake Now, if I were to bake a cake, I am not gonna do it from scratch. I'm gonna go to the store and I'm gonna get one of those cake mixes where almost everything is done, where I just need to get some eggs or some water or oil, whatever the recipe may call for, and put it all together. Now, if I just put a couple of the ingredients in but I missed one, most likely I'm gonna get a form of a cake But if I were to give it to you, you might take one bite and say, thank you. I appreciate that. And if there was a dog around, you'd find a way to sneak it under the table one way or another. It would be a cake, but it wouldn't be something that you would really enjoy, something that you would really want to eat. It wouldn't be the fullness of it. The Christian life can be like that. We can have parts of the Christian life. And it can be the Christian life, but there may be ingredients or an ingredient that is missing that you will not experience the fullness of the life that God has promised for us. For these believers in Ephesus that Paul runs into, there are ingredients, some that they have, some that they don't, that need to be added so that they have the fullness. And it leads... For them to a personal Pentecost. Let's look at these. There are four ingredients that we see in this passage. The first one is faith. The first one is faith. In verses one through two, we see that it says, Did you, and when he found some disciples in the end of verse one, it says, Paul asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when or at the point that you believed? And they answered, No, we haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Verse 4, Paul says, John's baptism, because they said, we received John's baptism. And Paul says in verse 4, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, and he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. These were disciples, these were believers who Paul encounters in Ephesus. They believed, they had placed their faith in the message of John the Baptist, That led them to be baptized by John and to believe his message that there was one that was coming after him. These were people of faith. Faith is needed. Faith is needed for salvation. We believe that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. It's not our work. It is the gift of God, not by our works so that no one can boast. It is a gift of God that is activated by our faith as we believe in Jesus, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his standing in, taking our punishment upon himself so that we would have eternal life, the forgiveness of sins. There is faith needed for salvation, but there is also faith needed for a personal Pentecost, a belief that this is something that God wants to do. The first ingredient is faith. The second ingredient is repentance. Verse four, again, Paul talks about John's baptism. John the Baptist's baptism was a baptism of repentance. It was a turning from sin, and it was a turning from self from sin, from self, and to God wholeheartedly that prepared people for Jesus to come. In Acts chapter two, in Peter's sermon at Pentecost, the people ask him after hearing this, they ask, what must we do then to be saved? Peter tells them two things. The first one he tells them is repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from your self way, your I'm leading the charge. It's my decisions. It's my desires. Repentance is key. Repentance is key because if we are going to experience a personal Pentecost, there must be a turning away from sin. The known sin that we are aware of and, Lord, search me. Try me. Is there any secret sin in me? Anything that I am not aware of that I need to, to confess before you that I need to repent and turn from and towards you. There needs to be repentance of sin and there needs to be a repentance from the self-life. Our founder, A.B. Simpson, talked about this. Andrew Murray talked about this. A.W. Tozer talked about it. Many throughout have, who have written extensively on the work of the Spirit who say it's not just sin, but it is self. The self-will, a life in which I am running my own agenda, where I am living for myself, where it's my will and my desires that I am having as what drives me. If I'm in charge, or if sin is present in my life, it is not possible to be filled with the Spirit. Because we need to be empty before the Spirit of God can fill us. Now, empty not in like a Hindu-Buddhist kind of thing, but empty into, I don't have known sin in my soul, I don't have my will that is leading me, but Lord, I am an open vessel for you. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Repentance is a key ingredient in a personal Pentecost. The third ingredient is water baptism. We see this in verse five. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. These believers had received a baptism of repentance, John's baptism. But Paul tells them you need to be baptized into the name of Jesus. Jesus, his last commands to his disciples was to go into all nations and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing them into the name of the Lord Jesus was a spiritual act and a public act of, you, of being identified with Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection. But it was also, and it is also, a faith-filled uniting with Christ. There is something supernatural that takes place when we are baptized, that there is this act as we are obedient to the Lord where we are united with Christ. It's an act of obedience. Jesus told the disciples to baptize people. And in Peter's sermon, when they asked, what must we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized in Acts 2 in conjunction with repentance. You know, sometimes people will ask, do I need to be baptized in order to be saved? You know, sometimes I think we, or I, shy away from that question because I don't want it to be a works-based thing, that you have to be baptized, it's a work that has to be done to be saved. And Sometimes I shy away from it. Well, you know, we're not saved by baptism, it's an outward sign, but you know what, I think I have gone personally too short because Jesus doesn't really give us the option to be baptized in water publicly. He doesn't say if people decide and if they want to and if they come to the place where they decide they want to be baptized publicly, go for it. He says, no, go to all nations, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them To obey every command I'm giving you. Peter says, when they say, what must I do to be saved? He says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. There is something that we sometimes miss, I think. It's not just this optional, can I, maybe should I? It's an act of obedience to God and I believe that we need to go after it if we haven't already. These disciples We're baptized in the baptism of John. And Paul says, you need to be baptized in the baptism of Jesus. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Here's why I think it's important. Certainly water baptism is our opportunity to be able to declare to the world, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. There was outward outwardly i want to show what inwardly god has done but i believe there is an obedience piece to baptism that should not be optional if we are cannot be obedient to the command of jesus to be baptized in water publicly how are we going to be able to be obedient to the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Does that make sense? That that if we're saying, "Ah, I don't, ah, maybe I can, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I... And this is a clear command of Jesus, be baptized. This is a clear command of Peter when asked what must we do to be saved, repent and be baptized. I think it should be, it should not be an option for us. It should just be... This is the next step for me. If I haven't been baptized, I want to be obedient to the Lord. That it is this act of obedience that opens us up to say, Holy Spirit, not only do I want to be baptized in water, but I want to be baptized in the Spirit. So if you're listening, you're like, I've never been baptized. I've never stood before other believers. I've never gotten into those waters and gone down under the water and come back up. I would encourage you that you would talk to me and we'll plan for that to take place. These disciples lacked it. May we be people who practice it. The fourth ingredient then is spirit baptism. Verses six to seven then says, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues or other languages and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. They were baptized and then Paul lays his hands on them and the Spirit comes upon them. Two distinct works. I know there are varying views on the filling or the baptism of the Spirit, however it may go. In the Alliance, we believe these are two distinct works. There is the salvation work, and there is the work of the baptism or the filling of the Spirit subsequent or following salvation. It may happen similarly at the same time, but they are two separate works. The Spirit seals us and is present in us at salvation. This is why in my story there was evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. But there is a separate subsequent work from salvation where the Spirit comes upon us. Where the Spirit fills us. Where the Spirit empowers us. Where we have a personal Pentecost. For years I had the spirit in me and many Christians remain here. But I believe there is a difference between the spirit sealing and indwelling a Christian and the spirit baptizing or filling and coming upon the believer. So what does this mean for us? How does this happen in our lives? Third, how do we receive a personal Pentecost? Now, as I talk about this for the next few moments, I want you to know this is not prescriptive. In other words, this is not how you do it, how it always happens. This is descriptive, how... God did it in me. But I believe there are some commonalities that are needed. And as I read others, some who have gone well before me, well before us, these are commonalities that they have experienced as well in leading them to their own personal Pentecost. The first common element is this. Recognize the need. Becoming aware of your need for a personal Pentecost. This happened for me when I went on a mission trip to Mexico in the most southern part of Mexico, third world Mexico. And these people did not have much, if anything, materially. When they had chicken for a big celebration meal, every single piece of the chicken went in the pot. And they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed in thanksgiving for this chicken that went into the pot. This was the level of poverty that they were living at. They did not have much when it came to material things. But I just spent time with them and worshipped with these believers. I came away believing that they had something that I did not spiritually there was something they had that I didn't and I needed it. I lacked it and I needed it. I didn't know what it was, but I knew that I needed it. So I came back from that trip not knowing what to do with that need. The Lord provided a mentor in my life that just happened, happened, in his providence to come into my life and began to talk to him about this longing, this desire, this awareness of this need in my life. And he led me and began to just talk and say, here's the one thing that I think you need to do next. That is, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. I was in a place where I did daily devotions. I read the Bible, I prayed. But I set aside a time that I had not been setting aside to seek the Lord. And I began to practice Solitude and silence, getting away like Jesus did. He went away from everybody to be with his Father. And as I went away in these times that I regularly scheduled, I would pray. And I was encouraged not just to talk to God, but to ask him, would you speak? Listening prayer, not just me speaking all the time. Scripture was very important in that time, reading and allowing the Lord to, to speak to me through Scripture, but listening in prayer and in, through Scripture. And it began in small time amounts, but it began to grow. And it began to grow past just minutes into hours. And as the time developed and as the time extended, there were some things that happened in me. One, I began to be less dependent on myself. I also began to have the Lord identify sin in my life that I was not aware of. Sin that was standing in the way of me and him in this closer relationship. Me and him in this being prepared for a personal Pentecost. And bringing me to places of repentance of things that I was not ever aware of before. And it led me also for this hunger and desperation to develop there were times where I would sit there and it would be like I have to have this there's more I have to have this every time I would come away and it was so good to be with God it was a delight to be with God but there was this stirring in me deeper and deeper there's more and I need it there's more and I need it there's more and I need it and I don't fully know what it is but I know I need you And over the course of several months of this seeking, of recognizing the need of waiting on the Lord, it brought me to a place third, this commonality that I came to a decisive surrender. I came to a decisive surrender. You need to understand a little bit more about my backstory. I grew up in a church environment that would not have celebrated anything of the Spirit. We believed in the Holy Spirit. We believed that we needed him to help us to understand Scripture. We knew that he helped us and brought us to salvation. We knew that, that he convicted us of sin. But when it came to gifts of the Spirit, when it came to anything that might be characterized as charismatic, ooh, no. I remember being in a youth event And it was at a local church and there were a number of youth groups that got together and it was at a Pentecostal church and they had everybody come forward because they wanted to teach everybody to learn to speak in tongues and that was definitely off limits and what we got out of that was the elders of our church said you will never again go and have any kind of fellowship with that church. Now, what should have happened was there should have been some understanding, hey, this is what was going on, this is what's right, this is biblically, let's talk about this. But what I received from that is anything of the Spirit like that, bad, wrong, stay away from it. That's where I was. I'd also had some interactions with those who were more into the Spirit than I was. And I struggled with some of some things that I viewed as abuses or I saw their lives and it didn't always match up perfectly with what I figured a spirit-filled Christian was going to be like, and so I discounted it that way. And to be perfectly honest, there was also some things when it came to the Holy Spirit that I was just honestly afraid of. What would it look like? What if he gave me one of those gifts like tongues? What if I got out of control? No, 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 no. Absolutely not. And so in the midst of all of this, in the midst of this desperation growing, waiting on the Lord, recognizing my need, the Lord brought me to a place in one of these times of waiting on him where he asked me this question. Will what you are seeking, me, will you receive it if it means that you lose control and you speak in tongues. Now understand, for me, that was like two absolute no-nos. And the Lord brought me face to face with those two. And I sat there in his presence for a while. Mm -mm -mm -mm, Nope. Nope. Absolutely, I wrestled it out. Nope, nope, nope. Until I came to the place where I was like, Lord, if this is what it means if this is what you will do so that this desire, this hunger, this longing, this need that I know is there is fulfilled and satisfied in you, if that's what it means, then okay. I won't go into detail of how God met me in that next moment, but it was absolutely wonderful and beyond what can be described. As the Spirit of God filled me. It was a time where at the end I said, Lord, what was that? and he said gently, I was filling you. I did not have it before, but he gave me what I had been looking for. I did not speak in tongues, but there was a love in my heart for people that I had never had before. I can only describe it as supernatural. It was not me loving. It was the love of God in a way I had never experienced it for people before. It brings us to a place where what happened was I received it by faith. I wouldn't have been able to say in that moment, I'm receiving this by faith, but I had been brought to a point where I had to just receive. I was brought to the end of myself in that time, in those months, to receive that baptism or that filling. And again, I want you to know this is not prescriptive. This is not how it has to be. But it's descriptive of how God did it in me. One last common element is this. It needs to be maintained. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be continually being filled with the Spirit. This is not a one-time experience. And I can tell you this. When I am not walking closely with God, when my time with Him is being sacrificed for busyness or stress, or I'm falling back into those patterns of self-will, there is a deep sense in my spirit that I know that I am not in the walking in the Spirit. Because I know what it's like. And there's always more of it, but I know what it's like. And I know when I've walked away from it. And that's where I know I have to come back. Lord, what have I done against you? Lord, where have I lived in self? And Holy Spirit, would you fill me afresh, daily, continually being filled? It's a lifestyle a lifestyle that I don't clearly always do well, but it's available to every single one of us. So this morning I share my story, and I have us look here and these believers in Ephesus because I fully understand how they felt. When I read them, I find myself going, "Ah, I get that, I get where they're at. I could put myself in that story. They were ignorant of the Holy Spirit. I was not ignorant of the Holy Spirit in the sense that I had not heard of him, but I was ignorant because I had not been taught about the need for a personal Pentecost and because, frankly, I was a little afraid, a little bit afraid of losing control. And I share this all this morning because we all need a personal Pentecost. I recognize this morning that the things that I've shared may cause you to look a little weird at me. That's okay. It may also conflict with, for some, their theology on this. And if it conflicts with your theology on this, may I encourage you to do one thing seek Him. And see what he does on this. Because he is bigger than our theology. One thing I had to learn is my theology could not contain the work of the Spirit. And if your theology is bigger than him, if your theology is more important than the person of the Holy Spirit, your theology is idolatry. you are worshiping your theology, not the one your theology is about. And so I say that, that if your theology says, ah, this isn't right, would you be willing to lay your theology aside on this issue and just say, Lord, if that is true, I don't want my theology to get in the way because I want you. And if this isn't true, guess what he's going to do? He's going to put that theology in its right place. In a sense, I'm encouraging you to say, what do I have to lose on this? Seek him, and if what I've been believing is right, then I'm good. But if it's not, if what I've been believing on this is not right, I get more of the fullness of the Spirit. To me, it either confirms what you've always believed, or you get the fullness that you did not have before. So I encourage you, Seek after him. And if you've already received this personal Pentecost at some point in your life, maintain it. That is the big challenge as we walk in the Spirit is to maintain the work of the Spirit on a daily basis. I can tell you personally, but seek after him. Seek after the fullness and the filling, the Pentecost experience not for the experience, but because this is where we get power for holy living and to be as witnesses. Will you join me in prayer? Father, more than anything this morning, I hope that what you have done and what you do is the focus. Lord, in sharing how it has been my experience, what you have done in me, may I, for better or worse, not be the center of this story, but may it be you. And Holy Spirit, on this Pentecost Sunday, may it stir within us A hunger and a desire for you, for you to have your way in our lives. God, may we be people who are filled with and led by your precious Holy Spirit. Stir within us a hunger. Stir within us a desire. Help us each day to remember that without you, we are without power to do this. How desperately we need the power of your Spirit in our lives. Spirit of the living God, would you do a fresh, empowering work in each of us and in our church for your glory, for the display of your goodness, for the empowerment of your people, for the sharing of the good news of Jesus. We love you. We worship you. Be the one who teaches us these things most clearly. In your name, Jesus, I pray. And all God's people said together, amen. Amen. Amen.